G'day listeners, welcome to the Braintainment Podcast. My name's Liam O'Donnell and this show will, we hope, truly educate and entertain you with a mission to do a couple of things. Firstly, to blend the world of personal development with pop culture and making the conversation around self-improvement, philosophy, things of that nature far more sexy and more impactful for the masses. One way we do that is through these conversations, either with just myself or with some incredible people that will feature on the show from a wide variety of worlds such as neuroscience, health and fitness, philosophy, business, sports, leadership, and even the entertainment space, which will be very exciting. The second part of our mission is to raise $1 million towards brain injury recovery and brain research, which is very dear to my heart. You can hear more about that on our social channels. In recent years, I've become obsessed with the idea of learning. And not only has this had real world benefits like skill acquisition, and a far more powerful approach to life, but I've bloody loved the process. And my hope with this show is to do the same for you, to add real value, but to help you fall in love with learning again and have a lot of fun along the way. So for now, subscribe and enjoy the show. Okay, welcome back to the podcast, folks. Today's going to be a fun one. We're joined by Brittany Benici, AFL Women's Superstar Footballer from the Collingwood Football Club. And look, any chance I get to talk footy, I'll take. And there's quite a few things I want to pick your brain on today, Britt. So thanks for taking the time out of your day to come on the show and have a chat. No, absolutely. Thanks for having me along. I, um, I'm sure we're about to have a couple of laughs and uh, get a couple of interesting to- topics out, that's for sure. So let's do it. We were having a laugh off air, so I'm sure this will be a lot of fun. Um, we'll touch on a fair bit. So looking forward to diving into it. There is a lot I want to cover And I think the listeners will get a lot of value today um, as I extract as much value as I can from you. Uh, Of course, we'll have a good time throughout. But I want to touch on a few things, some of the setbacks you've had to overcome on your journey, some of the lessons you've picked up along the way throughout your time in professional sport, I guess get an insight into how you think and and how you approach your craft. And I suppose really I want to use this time as an opportunity as well um, for myself to learn a lot more about the AFLW game in general. I think the listeners will enjoy that a bit too. So I'll give the listeners a little spiel about who you are and what you've been up to uh, for a bit of context, and then we'll dive into it all. That sound like a plan? Yeah, not bad. Make sure you make it good. <laughs> uh, well, I put a couple of pages together originally um, for your for your intro, but just due to time restraints, I've had to confine it a little bit. So hopefully you are still happy with it. No worries. If you miss anything, <laughs> I'll pull you up. <laughs> Well, yeah, if I miss anything, uh, please feel free to add it in. Um, so, Britt, I mentioned at the top there, AFL footballer for the AFLW. Pretty impressive resume, and I'll touch on a few of the highlights here. Toured New Zealand as a vice captain of the Australian AFL High Performance Academy, captain uh, Vic Metro Youth Girls to a national title in 2015, and was selected three times for the Youth Girls All-Australians. Played for Melbourne in the 2015 exhibition match, and vice captain Collingwood, uh, AFLW side in 2018 and 2019 seasons. You did have a bad run of concussions in 2015, which I'm really interested to talk to you about um, today. Only playing two games for St Kilda Sharks in 2016, and as a result of the concussions, took a year out of the game before, of course, returning. Making your debut in round one, 2017, in the inaugural AFLW match at Icon Park against Carlton, and after round six, we're nominated for the season's Rising Star Award. So, yeah, pretty impressive resume there, Britt. Talk me through firstly, though, what was that feeling like playing in the inaugural AFLW game at Icon Park? Was that a pretty surreal feeling to experience, particularly given that as a kid, I suppose, that probably wasn't 
something overly conceivable at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, it was unbelievable. Like I just could not believe that people actually came to watch footy. Like I'd always just played in front of my family and my friends and it was awesome. And then all of a sudden you run out there and it's a packed out icon park and people actually care about you playing and your results. And there's people that you don't know there watching you. And I I remember my first ever kick of AFLW footy. I just got a free kick. It was on the boundary line. And I looked over to the side and there was just Carlton supporters yelling at me. And I got so frazzled. I kicked the ball long down the line, straight out on the full. was unreal. They were all laughing, clapping, cheering. And I thought, what have I got myself into? What am I doing? Um, A bit different to um, kicking in front of mum and dad. Oh, absolutely. You know, I could absolutely shank a ball, be standing in the goal square and kick it out on the full and mum and dad would be like, oh, no, that, that's all right. It's, you know, still spun backwards, still a good kick, like whatever. <laughs> but, um, you know, you get out on Icon Park and you're playing for Collingwood versus Carlton and there's no, there's no nice word from the Carlton supporters and uh, they're waiting for that kick out on the full. So definitely um, an unbelievable experience and something I'm probably still not 100% used to as well. Oh, I can imagine. Um, and I know from my time in footy anyway, even if I had just a couple of friends come down to watch me play, just those new set of eyeballs staring at me was just enough pressure to to shank it. I always thought it was a pretty decent kick in front of goal. But yeah, some um, that little added pressure, I suppose, from people watching or even if I spotted a cute girl in the crowd um, watching us play, that little bit of pressure uh, made things a bit more challenging. I could very easily mongrel punt one off the side of the boot um, and make a fool of myself. So I can only imagine what it's like playing in front of so many people, particularly for the first time. I suppose on one hand, though, that extra energy and intensity that comes with having people at the Oval would be really cool and almost help you rise to the occasion to some extent, um, kind of lift the energy in the atmosphere. But then how do you balance that with, um, yeah, that, that added pressure of so many eyeballs staring at you? It would be a tough one, I would think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, especially when um, being an inside mid, you know, you lay a big tackle or you hope to get a smother and there's always that really nice feeling about it. But then you just amplify that and you get everybody screaming and all the your friends hyped up, jumping around you. And it just reminds me of, I know, when you're at a concert or something and like your favourite song comes on and you turn to your friends and you're all jumping around and you're all really going for it. Like it's just that moment amplified by about 100 by people completely surrounding you just off one moment and then you have that chance to do that moment again which is really cool whereas when you're at a concert like once the song starts it's not coming back on again um that's probably the best way I can you know try and relate that like that moment when you know you hear everybody roar it's awesome so take us back to the start then Uh, I've heard you talk about uh getting into footy at a pretty young age. How did you first get into your football and, and when did you realise that, uh, hey, there might actually be a, a professional career here. I might be able to carve out for myself. Um, I was really lucky growing up. I started playing junior boys footy in under 10s um, down in Wallen um, and I just played with the boys until under 14s and it was awesome. It was never really about being a girl or anything. It was just kicking footy with my mates and um, I was never really made to feel sort of any different, which was cool. Um, my brother always played footy, dad always played footy, and it sort of just was a no-brainer that I just wanted to do what they were doing. Um, so I was really lucky in that aspect. And then I jumped over into girls' footy because my sports teacher uh, at my primary school, she was involved in St. Albans Spurs. So I 
decided to go across there when I couldn't play girls footy anymore. Um, but playing professionally was never really something I genuinely thought I could do. Growing up, playing with the boys, I we'd always talk about just, oh, yeah, one day you'll be the first girl playing footy. One day you'll be the first girl playing footy. And it, it was just like this thing that we'd just say. And then all of a sudden it was like everyone started saying, oh, AFLW might actually happen. Oh, it might actually happen. Oh, it might actually happen. And then, boom, the next day it was like AFL announces AFLW. It was just like for so long it was this thing that we just sort of say and talk about. And then all of a sudden one day it just happened and it was awesome and it was nobody really knew what to think about it because even though we'd been talking about it for so long, I don't think any of us actually expected that it would happen. Oh, I can imagine. So what does that process look like then? And pardon my ignorance here, but I know traditionally, for example, players will come through the ranks, usually part of some sort of representative squad, ultimately playing in an under-18 comp of some sort, like the TAC Cup here in Victoria, uh, before the draft process kicks off later in the year. So is that process somewhat uh, similar for the, for the women's game? Like, What does that look like to go from playing local footy like you touched on earlier to where you are now in the AFLW? What does it look like? Uh, it's different now for girls growing up playing footy, which is awesome. There's a bit more of a pathway than there was when I was growing up. But uh, in saying that, I'm still extremely lucky. I still consider myself definitely to be one of the lucky ones in the women's footy landscape. I knew a lot of girls when I started playing senior women's footy who had had to stop playing at some stage. I was really lucky. I never had to stop playing, um, but when I was 14 and I had to go into a women's competition, the competition I went into was for 15-year-olds to 18-year-olds. So right. as you can imagine, that's a massive gap. Um, and bodies are completely different and skill levels are completely different from a 15-year-old to an 18-year-old. But that's all there was for us. Um, so you sort of play youth girls and then if you're lucky, you'll get to go into the TAC Cup and when I was playing TAC Cup, I think there was four or five teams that just did a round, a round robin after a weekend. Okay. Um, and then from there, you'd go into a Vic Carnival, which again uh, was different to the boys. The boys sort of had their spread out a little bit, but we would just you'd go away for a week to wherever was holding the uh, championship and you'd play five games over a week and that was it. Um, there was no, you know, you do all this preparation and it was awesome and then it would all be done in a week because you've had to play five games of footy in that week, um, yeah. which is a really interesting concept, especially, you know, now when the men's competition are talking about trying to fill in uh, more games during the week and there was a conversation not long ago about them uh, playing on a Monday and a Thursday and sort of all this stuff. Well, we were doing it what right from the age of, 15, 16, we were playing five shortened games of footy within a week. Um, so it's an interesting sort of thing to see mm. how we were doing it for so long and now the boys are sort of starting to see what it was like for us growing up. Um, but from Vic, when in under-16s, there was a high-performance academy that you could go into, which was where I was lucky enough to get to tour New Zealand, which was awesome. Um I'm not actually 100% sure if they still do that because now obviously you can go into the AFLW and there is a next step after the National Carnival. But for us at that stage, that was sort of the highest level you could go to was 
either in that high performance academy or playing for your state, uh, which was awesome. And then, yeah, like I said, once you sort of reached 18, that was it. You just went and played senior women's footy, uh, which is just like local footy. Um, and now they have pretty much everything aligned with the boys. So a young girl growing up playing footy now has sort of under 12s, under 15s, under 16s, uh, under 18s, and then into senior footy. And they have all that tack cut pathways. They have the draft combine um all of that stuff but the draft combine wasn't in the picture um for us in those first couple of years there was way too many girls that were needing to get drafted for them to be able to do that right okay yeah interesting it's exciting to see that uh, exciting to see it take shape and um like you said uh there the opportunity starting to open up more and more as the years go on for girls to um, to get into their footy and pursue it. Um, look, just on that tour of New Zealand, I was just thinking with bloody COVID around at the moment, it probably might not be happening anytime soon, um, those tours in New Zealand, but we'll see how that, uh, I would how that plays out. They decided to get a, a group of us AFLW players to go over to New Zealand. I reckon that would be a ripper. So might ride into the AFL and ask them if we can make that one happen once all this COVID stuff goes away. <laughs> I'm happy to send an email too. So uh, if you want to CC me on the correspondence to help push the issue, I'm a nobody. <laughs> I won't, won't mean anything, but happy to help you uh, champion the cause and see what we can come up with. Start the petition. I'm all about it. Well, you've got at least one signature here and uh, maybe from the two or three people listening. So uh, we're on our way. Hey, uh, you're at the Collingwood Football Club now, of course. Talk to me about what that's like. Obviously, a massive um, massive club, big organisation. There's the football, uh, of course, with an extensive history. The women's club now, there's the netball team. Um, just a massive organisation. What's that like being a part of the, of the Collingwood Club? Yeah, growing up, um, Dad always went for Collingwood. Mum always went for Essendon. And I was just that kid in the family that refused to sort of side with either of them. So I went for Port Adelaide growing up and it was awesome. And I always, I'd refused to go for Collingwood in a match and I'd refused to go for Essendon because I didn't want to take sides and I just liked doing my own thing. And then um, draft day came around and Collingwood popped up and Dad was wrapped. Um, and I didn't really know what to think of it because, you know, Collingwood's a club that people love them or they hate them, um, although that sort of culture is shifting now a bit. But, you know, four years ago, I never even would consider wearing black and white stripes. <laughs> um, so it's funny sort of, you know, now four years on, I I don't know when it happens, but I could definitely say now I'm like the biggest pie supporter. And it's just because – being part of a club like Collingwood that has so much history and is so powerful, it makes you live like that. It makes you live like you have that bit of extra power in what you do. And it's yeah. nice to know that, you know, I'm going somewhere every day that I'm going to training. I'm going somewhere that has so much culture and so much history. And no matter who I say, you know, oh, Collingwood Football Club, no matter who I say that to, everybody has something to say. And I yes. like that because I like being the underdog. And growing up a Victorian, and it's, again, another funny debate because it's happening again yeah. right now. But being Victorian, the other states hated us. When we would um, go to our national carnivals, it was always the Vicks. Nobody liked us. Um, and I feel it's a bit the same at Collingwood. 
everybody sort of got something to say and everybody, you know, wants to know what it's like being at Collingwood because there's so much said about them, but they just go about their business and they go about what they can control in those four walls. And that's really Mm. exciting for me. That's sort of the part that I enjoy most is I feel like we're still sort of that underdog, but we are changing our culture and it's really nice to be a part of that and to be a part of something bigger than women's footy or bigger than myself. And um, Collingwood sort of, they make you, I guess they make you walk taller because you know you have the support of something so big behind you. Yeah, that's huge. I can only imagine. I'm, I am one of the uh, the few, well, not the few, the many, I should say, that do love Collingwood. I'm a Mad Pies fan. Uh, my granddad actually played for Collingwood. So I can only, I always have imagined what it would be like being a part of that club. And it's interesting. There is, of course, that added pressure. Um, but then, it, like you alluded to there, there is that sense of confidence that comes with wearing that um with wearing those colours. Like you've got this big, you've got so much support behind you and there's that element as well of like, hey, we'll show you <laughs> that underdog kind of mentality or um, we'll stick it to you kind of thing for anyone that's not on board with our our mission. Um, I think, oh, I would imagine that would probably um, spur you on a bit at times, particularly when the game's in the balance and you've got such a big club like the Collingwood Footy Club, uh, uh, you know, that you're representing, um, that extra kind of um, intensity would probably help spur you along. Without a doubt, and the, like, like you mentioned, the pressure is definitely there. I remember when I first got drafted to Collingwood, I was so overwhelmed by the fact that, well, the fact that everybody knew knew you. All of a sudden, you were like this Collingwood footballer, and that's what you became. At that time, like I said before, when you're growing up, you just play in front of, you know, your mum, your dad, your brother. If you're lucky, a mate will come along and watch you. And then all of a sudden you go into the arguably the biggest club in Australia and everybody wants to know what it's like. Everybody wants to either love you or hate you. And there is there's definitely additional pressure and I still today feel that. But once you've been at the club for a while and, you know, you start to get to know everybody that's around, you definitely start to fade away from those feelings because you learn to, I guess, take it on and take it in your, um, take it in your step, and yeah. it's awesome. I love it. So I mentioned at the top as well, uh, vice captain, of course, 2018-2019 season. What was that like? What were some of the uh, maybe the learnings that you took away from that role? Uh, and was that something that you'd always gravitated to? That sense of leadership and, and playing that role? Yeah, not really, to be honest. I um. I know it seems extremely cliche, but I sort of just like to go about my business and um, if somebody sort of leans towards the way that I go about things and they feel that I can sort of help them out because of the way I go about things, then that's great and awesome and I'm happy to help. But I've always been the sort of person, um, and this streams right back to, you know, playing junior footy or before I got drafted, is I never want to change who I am for sort of my surroundings. I'm you know, I think that everybody being unique and everyone being different is what makes us all so great. And I never wanted to sort of become that person that was like, okay, I need to be a leader. I think that sort of my biggest leadership trait is that I'm just so wholeheartedly myself. Um, yeah. And, you know, I really went into that role wanting to showcase that. I think that there was it, it could be extremely easy to – get caught up in the landscape of AFLW and um, being a leader at a club, 
and being a young leader at that as well, like at that time I was 19, 20, um, and I had sort of got to a stage where I was like, I just want to enjoy footy without without all the additional pressure and without all the, I guess, all the responsibilities that might come with that sort of stuff. I sort of got to a stage where I really enjoyed just being able to go about my business and enjoy just being a footballer, um, which is really unique and it's really exciting for me as well that now I have the stage, uh, I'm at the stage where it, I'm going to say it doesn't mean much. Not It's not that it doesn't mean much to me, but I'm just happy playing footy. And yeah, now that, doing what you love, yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, now I've, I'm 23, I've been at the club for coming on five years and I understand that there's younger girls who are starting to come in and starting to, um, I guess, learn the traits of the club through me. And being a leader at a club like Collingwood is amazing because in 10 years' time I'm going to be able to look back and see all these new girls that are coming through playing footy who have, you know, been taught so much more than I was ever taught in my junior career and still know that I've been able to give them something and that's exciting to me. Yeah, look, you said something really interesting in there, Britt, uh, essentially that idea of just being true to yourself. And yes, it is a, a cliche, but it is a cliche for a reason. It's true. And I wonder if it's that authenticity perhaps, that um, kind of sticking to your values, um, what you believe in, being yourself like you touched on, I wonder if it's uh, that authenticity that people wanted to follow and, and kind of uh, helped you in your leadership. And I think that's a, a pretty rare commodity in today's world in particular is that strong sense of, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is what I represent. Uh, this is what I you know bring to the table. And I, I just think there's something really attractive about that. Um, and I think that sense of leading that way, I suppose, applies on and off the field, um, just sort of thinking out loud. But it is an interesting one. And um, I'm glad you brought that up. Is that a pretty fair assessment? Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, you're saying you were talking about the AFLW landscape here. And again, none of the girls in the AFLW right now were ever trained to be in the AFLW. No one was ever trained mm. in media. No one was ever, no one was really expecting for this to happen. And I think <laughs> it's been such a whirlwind and it's very hard to wrap your head around. But for me, the one thing that helps me really wrap my head around it is I got here doing what I'm doing and now I'm just going to get additional resources to help me on the field. But that doesn't mean that I need to be something else off the field. Um, and that's sort of probably the biggest realisation that's come out of the AFLW for me. Yeah, that's super interesting, isn't it? It is a landscape that's continued to evolve. It's all new and it's funny, like you say um, – the, a lot of the players that get interviewed after a game in the in the you know in the men's, um, and they often say they often sound the same. And I reckon in large part it is because they've seen that as a kid growing up. They say the same things, and you know the culture of a lot of clubs. Obviously, they you know every, the different clubs concentrate on certain things, but the football culture for the most part is somewhat similar. And I, I think in large part it's because the example's been set. You sort of know what to expect. So I've never really thought about that. That is super interesting. Like you are kind of to an extent figuring it out. Like how do we present ourselves and um, what does leadership look like at this club and, and what have you. So uh, it'd be exciting to see what unfolds over the next five, 10, 15 years as, as AFLW continues to grow. Yeah, definitely. And although like the boys and I play the same game, you know, technically mm. we play AFL, the AFL and the AFLW are completely different. 
And I think that's what's so exciting about being part of the AFLW is we don't have to take everything from the men's. We can make some things our, our own. And I think that's what we're really starting to realise now. And it's exciting because we're getting so many AFLW players really getting the chance to showcase their personality. And yeah, I that's love that. something that some of the boys may not have the freedom to necessarily do. But for the girls, because we have such a big life outside of footy, that's what people want to know about. They don't necessarily care about what we do inside the four walls of Collingwood. They want to know what we do in the other eight months of our life. They want to know what actually makes us be able to perform the way we do because footy is really only a small part of our life still. Yeah, so talk to me about that. So what is, what's a day in the life look like for you, Britt, um, throughout the footy season? So um, is is this a, is it a full-time commitment? Have you got work arrangements outside of the your training schedule? What's that sort of, let's say, a week in the life look like for you? Um. I still have a job outside of footy. I have, I actually have two jobs outside of footy. I work for a non-for-profit organization and I also do disability support work. So for me, it's still a real juggling act. I'm just about to um, start uni and add that onto my slate as well. But to me, that's the exciting part about what I do is I can still have a completely different life I guess different lifestyle outside of those four walls so in season um it's usually uh well for last season I'll go off that because each season sort of changes but we train at the club three nights a week um outside of competition we train on a weekend as well otherwise we play a game on the weekend uh every now and then we'll get to go into state it's very much like a local landscape still um, sure. in the terms of our training nights and stuff like that. And then on top of that, you're always able to do more work, which is awesome. It's sort of one of those things that you're going to get out of it as much as you put in. If you want to go in and do sort of extra skill sessions, go for it. If you want to do extra weights, go for it. And you have the professionals there to make sure that you're doing what's right for your body. And that's what's exciting. So. For me, it's go to work, normal hours, not nine till five. Sometimes I change them up, eight till four. Um, work, go to training, go home, sleep, work, night off. Work, go to training, go home, sleep, work, night off. Um, the hustle is real. Yeah. Um, it's awesome though. Like it's so cool to know that – I have that flexibility and it's so cool that when we have all these different girls who during the day do such different things, like we have some tradies, some teachers, I know girls who play that are police officers, girls who play who are accountants, students, we have all this different stuff and then you come together and you play footy at night and even though you've had such a long day, it hits six o'clock at night and you've got so much to look forward to, which is awesome. So just on that, and uh, it's the thing I want to bring up with you, is just having that sense of play. Like you're clearly very passionate about footy, um, have been for some time, of course. Not a lot of listeners would be too, or are passionate about some sort of sporting arrangements, certainly if they're listening to me anyway. Um, so how important is it to have that sense of play with what you do, yeah, particularly if you're going to be investing a 
considerable number of hours into your craft, how important is it to um, essentially fall in love with the process and really enjoy what it is you're actually doing? I don't, it's so hard because you don't want to sound cliche for these things, but if you don't love footy, you can't play at this level. It's just right. not possible. But I think the big difference and the big driving factor between loving footy and loving the ins and outs of footy is very different. You've, mm. You can't just go and watch and watch somebody have a kick of the footy at this level. That's not what it is. And that was probably the biggest shock to my system when AFLW really started. But all the work that goes in outside of those training hours is what makes or breaks your competition, especially when you're playing footy and really you're only playing nine games for the entire year, but your whole year is preparing for those nine games. And unless you genuinely love footy, you can't, dedicate your entire year to nine games and that's the unique thing about women's footy is you have to be prepared to spend 12 months getting yourself in the best possible position and we like we don't get paid for those 12 months of the year and I think that's what a lot of people don't realize with the women's landscape is Mm. we still play a lot of footy just for the thrill of it just because we love it and growing up Footy was never a career aspiration for any of us. We always just played footy and dedicated ourselves to it for the love of it. We would play, you know, in the VFL level and whatnot just because we loved it. And there's so much of that still in our game. And I think that, you know, because it's under an AFLW banner now, that probably gets swept under the rug a bit and get forgotten about. But that's what's so good is girls still just play footy for the love of it. We don't play it for a career. We just want to be the best athletes and best footballers that we can be. Yeah, that's huge. And it's, it's one of the key messages I want to, I guess, get across to the people that, that connect with me and, and this show is like, you just got to fucking love what you do. I think too many people get caught in the monotonous, same old, same old. And look, it might not end up being a career. It might, I think what essentially what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is essentially not being fixated on the outcome, but rather just loving the day-to-day of what you're doing. Like you mentioned the ins and outs of the game. And obviously, you're probably alluding to the training and the, the extra work that goes in. You enjoy it because you just love, you love that process. And I think if people are feeling flat or stuck in some way, it's like you have to have something, um, you know, if it's outside of your work hours, that you just fucking love to do. Um and I wish I had all the answers for like where to start. Obviously, for yourself, you know, you picked up a footy, you, you became really good at it, uh, but also took a real uh, keen interest to it early on. And I wish I had an answer for people that haven't had that same experience. But I don't know. In some way, you need that. Um, you need it in your life, don't you, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And it's like you said before. It's like anything. You've got to love what you do. Mm. But with footy, like you wake up so sore after you've been crashed and bashed for a day and then you've got to get up and you've got to go to the club and I tell you what those moments somebody's lying if they don't say that they wake up after a game going oh that was brilliant I'm so glad I got absolutely spear tackled yesterday and can hardly breathe like this is unreal if they wake up thinking that I'm like honestly you're superhuman but 
you go to the club still and you get around the girls and, you know, two days later you're feeling back to normal and then you love the game again and then you love the process again. You don't love it full time. And it's Mm. like any job. You're not going to love it full time. Sometimes you might have an admin task that absolutely sucks and you want to throw it over (laughs) your shoulder. But quite talking it, to me, right? Yeah, quite literally. Sometimes <laughs> you might get stuck in a podcast with some bloke and you really just don't want to be on with him because he's just dragging it out. comes with the territory. Yeah. But like, and that's the good part about footy is it's such a ride and nothing's the same. No two outcomes of a game are the same. You know, you've got to train for the ball to get tapped to you four times out of um, four times out of five, and in the game, you're lucky if it happens once. But it's the unknown that keeps it exciting and it's the unknown that you've got to keep getting up for. Yeah, spot on. Hey, uh, Brett, let's change lanes a little bit. Um, just want to cover off a few more things with the time we have. I mentioned at the top as well uh, the rain you had with some concussions. I don't know your story, your story exactly, but um, people who know me and listen to the show know that uh, unfortunately I had, a, I had a pretty nasty injury, just to give you some context, about five years ago. And I've just had these lingering symptoms since. And it's just, it's been a bit of a, it's been nothing short of a nightmare, to be completely honest. And so, um, in large part, what we're doing with the show here and a few other things we've got going on is raising awareness and money. For um for concussion and, and brain injury recovery, it's still a lot of unknown. Firstly, <clears throat> what happened? So did you did you have a couple of couple of knocks to the head? Like, what did that look like? And talk me through that um that year that you consequently had to take off. Yeah, so a lot of it really streams back to the AFLW landscape and what women's footy is, and um you know it's a credit to the AFLW and what they've been able to do with women playing sport because when I grew up. Like I said before, by the time I was 16, I was jumping into a seniors competition for open-aged women who have never played footy before, never been taught how to tackle, uh, right. to throw their body around. And, you know, I wanted to just keep pushing myself and playing at the top level. So being 16, playing with women didn't matter if it meant that that was the top level I could play at. It was awesome. So being a young girl, jumped in with the uh, older girls and much bigger girls. I mean. You imagine a 16-year-old bloke jumping in with uh, grown senior men playing footy. Mm. It's a massive difference. Um, But that was just what women's footy was, and we didn't really have many resources. We'd have maybe one physio and the runners and the water runners and all that stuff were just the resis who would come up and help us out afterwards. And, you know, at that time it was awesome. We didn't really know any different. We didn't have – the ability to get any other resources. We're just making do with what we had so girls could play footy. But I guess the contrast to that then is we didn't have the correct support. So being so little, uh, being an inside mid, I just got thrown around a hell of a lot. Um, And every time that I sort of got thrown around and I'd cop a bit of a knock, it would just be, oh, God, I'm I'm out for today, but I'll be back. see a training tomorrow sort of thing because I didn't know any different. No one around me really knew any different. So it was just a string of knocks after knocks after knocks and not really taking the time out to rest for myself and not taking the time to actually understand that what was happening was being concussed. Um, There were a couple of times where I'd end up in the hospital and I'd get like this sheet of paper about concussion and, um, 
I'd just sort of be like, yeah, yeah, no worries. And then I'd go back to footy and I'd be like, yeah, no, no, I'm fine. Um, and, you know, I was young. I was little. I was trying to be this tough inside mid. Um, and this is by on no, on, by no means on sort of the club I was playing for or the women's footy landscape. Like I said before, we were just making do with what we had. And concussion wasn't really even a big topic then. Um, well, it's, only, it was, it's generally quite recently that's come out in professional sports in general anyway. So, yeah, I can imagine there probably wouldn't have been a, um, a whole lot to turn to at the time yeah, for you. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, like I said, I just wanted to be that little tough rough nut. That was what all the older girls would call me. They'd be so happy that they'd sort of get this little girl who would go in for the footy and just dish it out to them. Like it was awesome for them. Um, yeah. And that's what I did. And it sort of got to a stage where, so I, I had a big knock and I took a week off. It was the first time I'd taken a week off footy and I felt like the biggest wimp ever. And then came back the next week, got a hit. I was like, nah, nah, shake it off. She'll be all right. Next week, came back, got a hit. And I was like, nah, nah, shake it off. She'll be all right. And then I was at my nan's and my pa's one uh, morning. I was just eating my breakfast and all of a sudden I was like, drip and sweat it was disgusting I couldn't see properly I had like so much like it just felt like so much pressure was in my head and I said to my nan like I've got to lay down she carried me to the hallway and I couldn't make it to bed and I thought fuck something's wrong here um and I remember seeing her face and I thought I've got to sort this out I don't know what's happening at this time I didn't really put two and two together either I didn't really think anything of it I thought something's wrong I but Definitely had nothing to do with my head or footy. Like, I didn't even think that. Yeah. Went to the doctors and it was sort of the first time that I was able to string together what I was sort of putting myself and my body through. Um, and something he said to me then was, your brain's like your calf and it's like your hammy or your ACL. If you do one of those things, if you tear that off the bone or you rupture that, what do you do the next week? And I was like, oh, what do you mean? You're like, you rest. You got, you can't. You can't go and run after you've tore your hammy. And he sort of just said to me, well, what do you expect when you hit your head and, like, you lose proper function of your brain for a little bit? You know, if you're not yeah, going to go out and play. The pretty important too, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. If you're not going to go out and play because you've hurt your hammy and it's going to hurt, why are you going to go out and play after you've smacked your head and you're not concentrating at school right for the next week? And that was sort of the first time where I was like, oh, yeah, hang on a second. Like, this is actually something. Like, your brain's actually important. You, when you're getting hit, something's happening to you. Um, mm. And I never knew anyone who had had concussion really or anything. So I sort of felt I just didn't really feel comfortable going to my team, being like, oh, no, I'm not playing because of that hit I got four weeks ago and, you know. I I just didn't like the perception that I was going to get because of it. I totally get it. So, yeah, anyway, him and I, my doctor and I decided that we, you know, sort things out and go and get all the tests and tests came back and they weren't ideal. They weren't quite right. And we sort of sat down and we said, all right, what from here? And I sat down with my family and just my nan has probably been the biggest factor in any of this because I just remember her face that day and she'd been there every like poor Nan has watched me play footy so often and every time she's watched I get injured 
And like the poor thing, honestly, I know she hasn't had a heart attack. She'd have that much <laughs> it'd be unbelievable. What um, are you doing to her? Yeah, I know. Trust me, she's had that we've had that conversation so many times. Every birthday, she's like, mate. You're lucky I've, I've made this one. Like, this is all because of you. Thanks, Nan. That's going to make me feel real good when the time comes, isn't it? <laughs> well, there you go, Nan. If you're listening, at least you got a shout out. So it's all worth it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks, Nan. Appreciate you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, so we sort of sat down and we realized that it was time to take it serious. And I decided that, well, you know, I say I decided, but I didn't really have much of a choice um, that – it was time to take it serious and that meant not playing footy. Um, mm. And at the time, like all I would had done my whole life is play footy. Like at school I was the chick who played footy. Growing up with the boys, I was a chick who played footy. Um, everything was just based around footy. Like, And then you have that taken away from you and it's sort of like, well, fuck, who am I now? Like what am I? What am I doing with myself? Um, and it was a, like, it was a real hard pill to swallow and, you know, playing footy versus your livelihood, it seems like a pretty no brainer. Um, but when you're 17 years old, you're just playing footy and you're loving it and that's all you've done for your whole life. It sounds so stupid, but there's part of you is just like, oh, no, 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 I'll be right. But the reality was, like, I wasn't all right and I had to find, find a way to make, make do with what I could do and footy wasn't a part of it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I totally get it, Britt. That sense of identity, I mean, that, if that's how you've kind of grown up and, and footy's a part of who you are and then that gets taken away from you and – comes with that as well the ambiguity of like well fuck am i coming am i going to be okay like what's the time frame on this and it's it is super ambiguous i remember um like i won't i won't derail too much here i want to dive back into some footy stuff with you but um i had the same thing happened to me and, and at the time i was just back to playing local footy but it was still a massive part of who i was and then having to give it away and, and had these lingering issues and then trying to explain that you know, it's something that you can't see when you've got a leg injury, when you've got a fucking knee, whatever it is, you can usually see it or it makes sense. It's a lot more tangible where it's with this concussion, you feel it, but to the outside world, you seem completely normal. So you just feel like a fucking idiot, not being Absolutely. able to turn, turn it up in the way that you would like to. So yeah, it, it is a tough one, isn't it? Definitely. And then, you know, being 17 and all your mates are 17 and you sort of go to them, it's like, oh, not playing footy because, like, I've got some stuff going on with my brain. And then all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> are you going to die? Like, do you know yeah. how many times I got asked, does this mean you're going to die? Like, are you, like, what happens? Like, how quick do you deteriorate now? Like, right. you know, you're, um, you're 17 and nobody knows anything about the brain. All you know is it's really important and it's sort of like, you know, it helps <laughs> you talk and that's where all your memory are, is and all this stuff. Yeah. And then, all of a sudden, like, everyone's like, oh, but no, no, that's Brit. Like, she's got a brain injury. Like, careful, careful. You've described my life. This is weird. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was like, at the time, it was like so frustrating. And now I'm like, thanks, guys. I get it. Like, you care for me. But I was just like, fuck, I'm 17. Like, right. let me go do things 17-year-olds do. 
Um, yeah, I remember thinking, I've, look, I've had, a, I've had a few beers in my time. Surely that's done more damage, but I felt okay off the back of that. But um, so it just felt we kind of weird, you know, just in hindsight, looking back and going, well, I've been fine to date with you probably thinking the same thing. Hey, I've been, you know, um, I, I don't know what your life is like outside of footy, but at least on the field, you know, you've, like you said yourself, you've had a couple of big knocks already. I've been fine. So it can't be that. It's so ambiguous. And I think that's half the challenge is like trying to, one, come to terms with, your injury, because it is an injury, like your doctor said, and then also trying to relay that to, you know, the club or your friends and, and then trying to, you know, essentially avoid this new identity of like, I'm the one with the brain damage now, right? It's yeah. fucking weird. It, and it's a lot. And it's, like I said, nobody knows anything about it. So everyone's sort of learning from you, but right. you don't even know anything. Like, yeah. you're still not the expert. You don't really know what's going on. I remember, like, saying to my doctors and stuff like I don't care about the medical terms just tell me what I can do tell me what I need to do and you take care of the rest you take care of all the big lardy da stuff like I'm not (laughs) going to understand that I'm not going to understand that now let alone you know with everything that's happened and I definitely wouldn't wouldn't have understood it before any of this stuff happened so you got no chance talking medical to me just tell me what you need me to do that's it yeah so you ultimately come back and you end up playing footy again, of course, which is fantastic. So um, when when was there a period of time, I should ask, that you were a little bit nervous about eventually coming back to football? Did you ever sort of think, oh, fuck, I might be in trouble here? Or were you always, gonna, you always knew you were going to make a comeback? Where, where, what was your mindset there? It was hard because I wanted to come back, but I didn't know if it was the best thing for me. And I sure as hell didn't know if Nan would let me. So <laughs> I I remember when I got told the news that I was allowed to come back and I was racked at the time. I was like, righto. It was like midweek. It was probably like a Tuesday or Wednesday. And I was thinking, yeah, that's all right. I'll get like everyone together. We'll have like a scratch match in my backyard or something. I was ready. And then all the adrenaline sort of wore off and I was thinking, holy fucking shit. I'm actually allowed to play, but what if it happens again? And I got so nervous from the first time I thought that. I don't reckon it was probably for two or three weeks before I got up the courage to actually consider it. Right. Um, And then it got to a stage where there was only one game left of the season, one or two games left, and I just thought to myself, I don't have a choice. Like, if I genuinely want this, like, I knew that AFLW was coming up, and I thought, if I genuinely want this, I've just got to bite the bullet. Um, and I remember running out for my first game back, and I was so nervous. I'd never been so nervous for a game in my life. I'd played numerous national carnivals. Um, I'd played in numerous grand finals, but I'd never been so nervous for a game in my life. And I remember just saying to myself, before I ran out, I just said, if I wasn't okay to do this, they wouldn't let me do it. So suck yeah. it up, go out there, and if you're going to hesitate, well, it's going to happen to you again, and that's going to be on your own back. So I just sort of said to myself, it's up to me, suck it up, and go put my head over the footy, or decide that's it, take off the boots and stop wasting somebody else's position in the team. Um, so I ran out, and as soon as a siren went, it was like I'd never missed a game in my life. I didn't think about it again, and I sort of tried to just take that mentality from then 
still out now. Um, if I'm not that's right awesome. to play, yeah, if I'm not right to play, I'm not going to play. That's whether it's yeah. my brain, that's whether it's a hammy, a calf, a sore knee, a sore arm. Like, mm. you know, you're playing a game now and you're okay to play it, but the mental side of footy is so big and that's one thing I've learned over the past four, uh, four years playing in an AFLW competition that you can't afford to let yourself drift off to a different place when you're playing footy. And, you know, that's for you, that's for your teammates, that's for your club. But that's sort of the mentality I try to take into it now. If I wasn't okay to play, I wouldn't be playing. And if I'm going to put my hand up to take a position, then I've got to be ready. Um, it's not about what's happened before. It's about what I've got in front of me now. Yeah, I reckon that clarity and that intentionality is huge. Um, and it applies to all walks of life, really. Do you think – I mean, obviously, at the time, it's terrible and shit. It's such a – just such a bad feeling, obviously, physically, mentally, everything that comes with it. Um, you know, obviously taking the time away from a game you love. The whole process is just shit. But in hindsight, I suppose you get to take away, yeah, like you kind of alluded to, some lessons. Um, have you found that there have been like that in addition to perhaps some others? Have you found that there's been some, I suppose, life learnings from your time in sport that kind of parallel to, life, to all walks of life, whether it is being able to overcome challenges or, um, you know, make the have that intentionality of like, hey, I'm here to play. I'm either doing it or I'm not. I've decided I am. I'm fucking going all in. Um, and I think have you found that sports has, has served you well, I suppose, is, is what I want to ask you. Oh, without a doubt. And, again, I think that comes back to the sort of just being who you are. You know, growing up I was the only girl who played footy. At lunchtime all the girls would sit on the table and I'd be out running with the boys and, um, you know, we'd all come in red-faced afterwards, sculling the water from our drink bottles and the girls would sort of already be sitting at their tables and everything. And I was just – it was just what I liked to do, so I didn't care what they were doing. Um, and I think that sort of stems through to who I am now. It's just like I'm going to do what I enjoy and that's sort of one of the biggest things footy has given me. Being a girl, playing footy – was always just like this weird thing and it's great now because it's so much more accepted but mm. I never cared and I still don't care because I was so lucky that I got to grow up doing what I did and the friendships I made were awesome but in terms of sort of the injury side of things and what I've been able to take from life is it's just you only get one chance to do these sort of things I only got one chance to make that comeback game I only got one chance to decide hang on no it's time to put me first and forget about footy like although those decisions and stuff can linger on for so long all you're doing is prolonging a process and that's why I'm so comfortable with what I decide to do and I'm so comfortable with making a call and I'm so comfortable with putting myself first because you've got to. And if you don't, the longer you're just going to be stuck in this phase. And, you know, if you make a wrong call or you make a wrong decision, then it's okay. It's not the end of the world. You learn from it and you take the next step and you do you do it right the next time. And I yeah, think, I've always – sorry, go on. Um, yeah, I think that, like, that's just so important because it's so easy – to just get stuck in this little safe space. Mm. But you're not going to grow and you're not going to develop in that safe space and you're not going to have very much fun. So I just think that it's so easy to do that, yes, 
but it's a fuckload more fun if you just actually learn to challenge yourself and you learn to step outside of your comfort zone and be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. It's so much fun. And oh, I so true. Oh, yeah. I definitely don't think that if I hadn't gone through all those uncomfortable moments because I was that girl with the brain injury, I definitely mm. wouldn't be as open now to sort of just saying fuck it and doing what is going to be fun and doing what I want and learning new things and trying new things and meeting new people. It's very easy to be sheltered, but what's the fun in that? Fuck, there's so much in that I want to unpack, but I know we're limited for time. Um, yeah, well, I was going to say earlier, it, I've always said that and, and sort of live my life by the idea that it's better to run a, a thousand miles in the wrong direction than it is to stand still, right? This idea that uh, indecision is the thief of joy or it's the thief of opportunity and just that kind of that stagnation that comes from just kind of second-guessing every decision you make. You know, sometimes they're going to be wrong, sometimes they're going to be right. But it's, I think it's, one, it, um, it usually moves you a lot faster in the right direction if you just make decisions and pivot and adjust and learn. Um, and two, like you said, it's just so much more fun, right? Like it's just so much more joyful just to try new shit, learn. I think it's a big part of that process. But yeah, just keep trialing new stuff and um, not second guessing. And there's, it's, it's crazy the ideas, whether it's, you know, business or sport or whatever that people have. Just, and you'd be the same just in conversations you have with people that just never get explored because they're stuck in that like, what if it doesn't work? What what is someone going to think of me? What if what am I going to think of me and all that sort of stuff? So it's a good takeaway. Just fucking make a decision, roll with it, learn, adjust, and keep having fun, right? Exactly right. It's a mind trap, and there's only one way to get out of it. Um, that's it. Hey, couple more, Pete, before I let you go, if that's okay. Yeah, go um, Steve Simmons, your coach. What's he like? What's your, uh, what have you learned from him? And um, yeah, how do you find him as a coach? Dead set legend. He seems it. Um, yeah, he's unbelievable. He just has this ability to make you better and make you find stuff about yourself. And, you know, he's the sort of person that he's like, look, I'm willing to put my best foot forward for you, but if you're not willing to match my step, then that's on you. And he just makes you accountable and makes you see so much in yourself that you haven't even tried to explore before. Um, and he's honestly just an absolute dead set legend. Yeah, he seems it from afar. Um, two more. Yep. Best player, best player in the AFLW right now. And then also, who's one to watch that's coming up that we should keep our eyes on? Oh, best player in the AFLW right now. Um, Jazzy Garner. Just absolutely love Jazzy. Love the way she goes about her work. She's so underrated. She's starting to get some exposure, but growing up playing with Jazzy and seeing, like, growing up she was unbelievable, and then I see what she's doing now, and I'm just like, how are you still getting so much better? You're ridiculous. Cut it out. Settle down. Sit down. Give somebody else a turn, please. <laughs> That's great. Um, what was the second half of that? Best upcoming player. Yeah, who's uh, who's one that potentially might not be getting the attention right now, but you think, hey, I reckon there, I reckon they could be one to watch. It's, I don't want to say a Collingwood player because I think it's going to be so cliche, but Lauren Butler <laughs> from Collingwood is the yeah. most quiet. Just she's so smart. She's just 
everything that a footballer shouldn't be, she yeah, okay. is. And she brings awesome. all of it onto the footy field and just makes things happen. Like, she can kick as good on her left as her right. She weaves in and out of packs. And then off the field, she just doesn't say a word. It's like, how can you talk? <laughs> like, your footy talks so much. And then you just be like, good game, butts. And she'll be like, yeah. Uh, good chat. Do it again next week. See you at training. <laughs> That's great. I don't know how she does it. We'll keep an eye out for her. Thanks so much again, Britt, um, for carving out the time to chat today. It's a lot of fun. Learn heaps. Um, if people want to connect with you in some way and maybe follow your journey, you on, on Insta, what's the best way to follow your journey? Uh, yeah, definitely probably Insta. I, um, not big enough to make a Facebook page or anything like that. So hopefully after this podcast might, might get the recruiting, um, happening for somebody to run a Facebook page for me or something, but, um, I can confirm there's at least three, there's at least, there's at least three friends and my mum and dad listening. So there's a head, there's a, a bit of a posse starting to form. So in due time, I'm sure we'll get enough to warrant that Facebook page for you. Brilliant. Um, but, yeah, Britt Benici on Instagram. Um, plenty of things about my dogs, stitching up my boyfriend and a couple of footy flicks. So feel free to jump on. Always good content. Thanks again. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Maybe we can chat again soon and I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on.